for your goodness. We thank you that you are here in our midst. And this morning, Lord, as we gather around your word, I pray for a portion of your Holy Spirit to be upon us and upon me. I pray that your word through the Holy Spirit would find root in our hearts. And yes, Lord, there are many here this morning that might be asking many different questions and questioning their faith and all these things this morning. I pray for the name of Jesus' sake that you would reach into everyone's hearts and encourage your people to the honor and the glory of your name. Amen. I want to start a two-part series this, uh, this morning, and the first one is Growing a Heart for the Nations. The second one will be next week when I speak about death-defying missions. And I want to start, I know that people say when you, when you start a sermon, you shouldn't start with a personal story because your name is rather tell stories from the Bible. But as a matter of fact, I was reading the scripture this week and actually found that Paul also gave personal testimonies. Uh, in his letters about many things. So I feel that uh, if Paul could do it, I can do it. So some years ago, I found myself at a crossroads with regard to my faith. So often one hears about similar things happening to others, and it never seems to dawn on Paul one that uh, your world can be turned upside down all of a sudden. I experienced the normal emotions that everyone experiences in times of crisis. It was during that time, strangely enough, that God, through the Holy Spirit, was encouraging me to trust Him more. I remember how one morning, whilst praying desperately for God to respond uh, to my prayers that were bouncing off the ceiling and off the walls all around me, and it seemed as if there was no breakthrough uh, ever going to take place, I clearly, clearly remembered the words I prayed that morning. Lord, even though I am kicked and bruised, and cast away, I will cling to your leg and never let go. Even if you want to kick me, even if you want to hurt me, I relent this morning, but I will never, ever let go. And that's what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to pray. And that, that point of relenting, that point of total relenting, that there was an overwhelming sense of God's peace and His presence. Now, by no means were my, my problems over. I just want you to know that, you know, those good luck stories and those good stories. Then my life changed and everything was fine, you know, and hallelujah, praise the Lord, everything was fine. Nothing like that happened, you know. As, as much as you want to wish that to happen in your life, as much as you desire to happen in your life, I just want to tell you for everything there's a consequence. And the consequences were there, and I had to deal with those consequences. But the great thing about it was that God's peace at that very point was very real and assuring to me. You might, uh, what's, uh, you might uh, ask, why am I sharing this with you? Well, first of all, I couldn't really verbalize uh, 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 what I was really feeling at that time. And so recently, I was uh, going through the Bible and listening to sermons, as I normally do. And because I'm, I don't have commentaries, I have to rely on the, the internet, and I have to go in and get out, you know, good, uh, good preachers and and get out Jonathan Edwards' readings and all these off the internet and that. 
Um, that saves you money, by the way, if you do it that way. You don't have to have a room full of books, you know, and look all important, you know, and stuff. And John Piper was teaching uh, uh, that, that uh, the one morning in his, in his church, or one evening in his church, he was talking about God's heart for the nations. And it was as if the penny had all of a sudden dropped. All that I experienced and all that I was going through up to that point in my life, God had a plan and a specific purpose. And we all say that very easily until we're there where the tie hits the road. And so before I want to share that with you this morning, I want to ask you six questions. And you'll find that I've got a bit more technologically advanced since you last saw me. Okay, and that's thanks to Maria. And also thanks to CCM, because that's how they preach every week, you know, at CCM. So I had to fall into line with that. Okay, so there's a bit more technically advanced. So if you get bored with me, you can at least see that. Okay, all right. So some of the questions that we need to be, that we be pondering and answering and, uh, and attempt through the Holy Spirit uh, to shed some encouragement on our lives is this. Why are we here on earth? Very old question. Why are we here on earth? What are God's purposes for us? How do we fit into His purposes? How willing are we to develop the mind of God so that we are changed? And do we really desire God? As I lay the foundation for this service, uh, this sermon for next week, I just trust that you and I would be honest enough to look at those questions and I know some of them will sound very philosophical and they've been asked over many, many, many millions of years or thousands of years, whatever you want to say. And, but really, this morning, I want you to know that God has an answer for you. That God really cares so much that He has an answer. Human beings by nature do not think as God does. We draw our own conclusions, ignoring the mind of God on matters of life and truth. We are self-centered and egotistical and that we think we have all the answers to life. We tend to play the devil's advocate, and at times it seems that we are winning. And that makes us as people to, uh, more determined to prove to others how wonderful and wise we are with regard to life. By human nature, I mean, as Ephesians 2 verse 3 says it, by nature we are children of wrath. There is something wrong with us. We have a bad attitude and we think badly of others and draw our own conclusions. Or as we read in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness to him. So we then by nature regard lots of truth presented to us as foolishness. In order for us to develop God's heart for the nations, Close and distant, that is deep enough, durable enough, Christ-exalting enough, we need to base this understanding of how does God see you, how does He see the nations, and then, my friends, the penny will drop in your spirit. Isaiah 55 verse 8 reminds us that, our, uh, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But that does not mean that we are now probing in the dark especially when it comes to a glorious relationship that God desires for us to have with Him. So when we realize God's heart and what He bases it on for the nations, sometimes we become defensive. Sometimes we become angry 
Because God, my dear friends, bases His heart for the nations on the passion. Listen to this. God bases His heart for the nations on His passion for His own name and His glory. This thought is very alien to many people, that God is jealous for His name. God bases His heart for the nations on His heart for Himself. So my thesis then is God's ultimate glory in creation is to display His ultimate glory for the enjoyment of His redeemed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. This diversity of God is not by accident. It is through this diversity that He is gloriously exalted. The key to this, my friends, is to why God's self-glory is not vicious, but virtuous, not unloving, but loving, is seen in the word enjoyment. He is doing it for the enjoyment of His people. We are thinking His thoughts. We will allow Him to be God in His fullness and grace and justice. So now let me back this up with a couple of scriptures. Now, um, you have a big Sunday school going there because I, I don't want to go too long and that and get, uh, get into trouble. Okay? Um, I've chosen this not in, uh, in a chronological order, but not because it is just a, a theological. I haven't chosen it for that reason. This first uh, 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 reason of predestination in Ephesians 1. Now look at all the, all the Armenians' ears going. <laughs> you know, when they hear the word predestination. But I've chosen this not for uh, theological reasons. But actually, this is first in relation uh, to, uh, to, 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 to creation. Now we read that, that God, my dear friends, has predestined us. Here we see the order. And we read the scripture this morning for the sake of time. I don't want to go through it again. I just want to highlight some of the things for you. We see the order. We see God's choosing. We see his predestination. We see his adoption through Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. The purpose then of this, my dear friends, of being called by God, being called out by God, being chosen by God, being adopted by God, being predestined by God, and being, a being given a destiny by God, my friends, is His ultimate purpose is for His praise and His glory. I want you to understand that. This morning, you might be going through trouble in your life. And we know that this morning uh, uh, when we heard the pastoral prayer, there are people experiencing deep, deep, deep trouble in their lives. But listen... I want you to know that God is greater than that because He has called you. He's adopted you. He's brought you into His, into his pattern, into His life. For well, one reason only, that you and I must know that it's for the praise and the glory of His name. Listen, choosing, predestination, adoption, Christ are the means of God. But the ultimate purpose is His praise and His glory. This is His design from the beginning. Now you say to me, what's God's purpose then for the nations? Well, from this text, my friends, and I hope you don't see it as just a, a, something very loose and, because I've gone through quickly. Uh, from this text, we see God's heart for the nations right here, all over the world, is for His praise and for His glory. That's His heart for the nations. That's His heart for you and I. 
Secondly, let's go to creation. Now, I had spoken uh, some, some months back on something similar to this, but I just thought I'd re uh, remind you of it. In Genesis 1 verse 26, we're going through a bit of a chronological order in the Scripture. God creates man and woman in His own image. What does that mean to be, be, be created in God's image? Images are made to image. Images are made to show. And that is why when the Bible says that we are created in the image of God, we are there to show God. We are not created to be an end in ourselves. Listen to this. We are not created to be an end in ourselves. He is the end. We are the means through which He reveals Himself. Do you hear that? We are not the end in ourselves. He is the end in Himself. We are the means through which He reveals and shows Himself. So when we talk about missions, and we talk about outreaches, and we talk about where we are, we need to get these things straight. We are not doing it for our church growth program. We are not doing it so that somebody can have his, his, his ego or her ego um, sort of lifted up. We are doing it, my dear friends, because it's for Christ's glory and for the name of Christ. Because God is not unhappy with himself. Let me tell you that. God is not unhappy with himself. He, has, he is infinitely passionate with his own glory. And that is why when Jesus received the commendation, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, we see that God is thrilled with Jesus as the image of God in the world. There is no disunity in the Trinity. There's an absolute unity in the Trinity. God is pleased with Himself. You say to me, Chris, but this sounds really tough. I said, yes, I agree with you. It does sound tough. Because all of a sudden, it changes your whole thinking as to your problems, as to your life, as to everything. And then all of a sudden, we don't have to go to the philosophers to look answers. We come to the Scripture and we see that there are answers from God in the Word. For our lives. Now let's go on. In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 to 9, you know the story of the Exodus. We'll get now to, to, um, to another passage. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 5 to 9, when we talk about the Exodus, the story of the Exodus reminds us that Israelites were not faithful to God. Uh, they deserved judgment, not mercy. Yet, uh, what do we read that God did? Why God did not pour out His wrath upon them. If you read that passage in Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 5 to 9, you will see, but for His name, He spared them. Have you ever thought of that? But for His name, He spared them. He acted in mercy for His namesake. This reminds us very importantly that our salvation, my friends, is not because of our worth. There are many Christians going around saying, well, you know, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, that's why I'm saved. It's got nothing to do with our own worth. Hear what I'm saying this morning? It's got to do with Him and His worthiness and His name. 
Can you imagine these Israelites trudging through the, through the Dead Sea? Okay, now they're walking there. And the one guy knocks the guy and says, Hey, we must be great. You see, this God has now parted this water. He must be a fantastic, we must be fantastic guys. Look at what we're doing, you know. We're walking here. These waters can come any minute, you know, and stuff. Man, we must be great guys. But you know the interesting thing is, there was nothing great about that. Nothing. But for the name of God and His mercy and His righteousness, they were saved. They were saved. And so you can be walking around, my dear friends, and say, well, I'm such a great person, you know. God loves me so much. Look, He loves me so much. I must be so great and so important to Him, you know. And pull out your checkbook and say, well, God, you know, I'll give this million to the church right now. But so, my friend, you've got the picture wrong. Your million means nothing. Your life, my friends, outside of God and outside of recognizing that it is because of His name, His mercy, His glorious mercy, His glorious and exalted name, that you are saved and then counted worthy. Isn't that so? The Bible says there is nothing good inside of us. All our deeds are as filthy, filthy rags. So everything we do, and it's, that's, a, that's a culture we're in nowadays, isn't it? The more I do good to do, the more ticks I get, you know? So now I'm doing good ticks over this month, okay? And that's going to please God. So more and more and more ticks. So, you know, I'll give, more, I'll give more food to the poor. I won't get so angry. I won't let the guy on Sheikh Zayed Road and get a filler made of me, you know, doing it and all that type of stuff. I'm this good guy now, you know? And stuff. So we have all these ticks. That is exactly the frame that we find ourselves in and the culture we find ourselves in. But for the sake of God's name, His glory, everybody is still spared. Do you realize that? God loves you. And listen, my friends, when we get to this point where David got the psalmist, he says, he reminds us in Psalm 106 that um, God saved His people. God saved His people for His namesake. To make His mighty power known to them. In Exodus chapter 7, we are reminded that God said that the Egyptians will know that He is Lord. And I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, why there are ten plagues? Now I remember when I was a small chocolatey, that's for English uh, for the English folk, chocolate is Afrikaans, but for the English folk, that means when we were a small little boy, okay? And you were in Sunday school. I remember the Sunday school teacher saying, well, you know, God tried nine times, and now the tenth time worked. And I grew up believing that, you know, that God failed nine times, and now the tenth time God pulled out his trump card, and all of a sudden, you know, these uh, Pharaoh's men and the Egyptians were now dealt with a heavy blow, you know, and, that, and now they went out. Well, let me tell you something. That's not true. Because in that passage of uh, Exodus 7, verses 3 to 5, you'll see God said, I will multiply my miracles. I will multiply them. Why? So that this Pharaoh will see that I am the Almighty God, that I am the Mighty One. And that's why we have the ten plagues. One would be enough for me. Am I right? But God multiplied His miracles so that His name 
would be glorified so that he would be acknowledged as God and the one that receives the glory. This evil Pharaoh would know God Almighty has been at work with his power in Egypt. God was magnifying himself in all those happenings. After this, we see the giving of the law. Two months about later, we see the giving of the law. And there we see the word, Thou shalt have no other God before me. You will not bow down and worship any foreign God. Why does God tell us that? Why? Because God deserves the glory. God is jealous about His name. Then we go to the fourth one. I think I'm doing well on time. The fourth one. And we look at the request for a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 to 22. Now we know that Israel was working and living because God was their king and so it was a theocracy. That was the, situa the, the situation. Around them, they had kings, okay? Other kings, we know about it, like the pharaohs and these people. They were the rulers, the earthly rulers. So there came a time in Israel's heart where they said, we don't want this. We want an earthly king. And Samuel was very upset about it, okay? E extremely upset about it. Why? Because these people had actually impeached God by asking for a human king. They committed treason. And Samuel was totally upset about it. But in this passage in 1 Samuel, we find that the Israelites, when they had requested the king, we see, my dear friends, that they come and they confess to Samuel. We have done a terrible, terrible thing, they say. We have committed a terrible sin by requesting this king. And you know, have you noticed something very interesting? Samuel says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Think about it for a minute. Yeah, these guys come. They know they've, made, they've, they've, they've really sinned in their hearts and in their attitudes and in their actions and everything. And Samuel says, do not be afraid. Man, I tell you, if it was my earthly father, he would have probably taken out the fan belt long ago and given me a massive hiding, you know, and made me understand that you are wrong. But Samuel comes under those circumstances. He says to them, do not be afraid. Listen, the Lord will not cast his people away for his great name's sake. Woo! I get excited. God's faithfulness, God's justice, God's mercy is for His name's sake. His heart for you, His heart for the nations is for His name's sake. We deserve punishment. We deserve destruction. But for His name's sake, my dear friends, for His glory, patient with us. And we see in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 20 following about all the, the spiritual condition of Israel that is highlighted. Wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. I had, I had concern for my holy name. Listen, O house of Israel, it is not for your sake that I'm going to do these things but for the sake of my name, I will show the holiness of my great name to the nations. I am the sovereign Lord. 
there must be genuine brokenness and genuine remorse before there's a leaping for joy. So everything that happens in our lives is for the name and the glory of God. Now that might be a bit alien, I know. But you know, that's what the Lord had to teach me. And I had to unlearn many things in my life to be able to understand God's purpose for me. Now let's go to the New Testament. I just wanted to share two things. I could share much more from the Old Testament. But also just two things, uh, two for you from the New Testament. In John chapter 17, uh, we read about Jesus speaking about His glorified the Father. Now glorify your Son. What is Jesus' ministry? Jesus came to glorify the Father. That's who He came to be. And can you imagine in heaven how Father and Son were together when the creation was there, when they were creating, and God spoke a word, and creation was there, and the Father and Son were there. The Son was in this continual glory of the Father. They were together in glory, in experiencing divine presence, experiencing glorious, exalted presence. And now we find Jesus at this point close to death, saying, Lord, Father, I've glorified you. Glorify your Son. He longed for that glory. He longed for that communion there. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. Does the New Testament confirm this? Yes. All have fallen short, have all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. God desires glory. God is jealous for His name. It's for His namesake and for His glory that we are saved. We've fallen short. We've missed the target. But we know that if we repent, and we come to God in brokenness, He comes and restores us. In Romans 1, you see that it talks about all the idol worship, and here we see how God demonstrates His judgment, His justice and everything and His forbearance by presenting Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, redemption for His glory. The reason we are here is to join God in making much of God. Can I say that again? The reason why we're here is in joining God to make much of God. You see, the terrible death that Jesus died on the cross, that was the only real thing that would satisfy God the Father. And that his name would be exalted. So your and my salvation is not in the fact that we are good people. Not in the fact that we are wonderful. It's in the fact that Christ came and glorified the Father. Took on our sin upon himself. Washed us clean. So that God the Father can be glorified. 
and we're part of that this morning. And then, just very briefly, I just want to give two reasons where I see this in the second coming, when Jesus comes again. And I pray this every day, that Jesus would come. And you know, when you're going through trials, you pray every day, please, Jesus, come. Am I right? You agree with me? Please, Jesus, come. When are you coming? This is the only way I'm going to get deliverance out of this, you know, or whatever. Anyhow, in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, it gives us two reasons for Jesus' coming and His returning. The first reason is to be glorified. The second reason is to be admired or marveled at. Wow, what a great day. Now, some people are here talking and say, well, I don't think I'm going to make that day. I'll probably be in my grave. But let me tell you something. It'll be wonderful to see Jesus come. It'll be wonderful, my dear friends, to glorify. It'll be wonderful to marvel and to admire Him. This is God's truth. My joy is making Him everything. Your joy is not in your circumstances. Your joy is not in your banking account. Your joy is not out to how much food you have on your table. Your joy is not in your marriage. Your joy is not in your friendship. Your joy is not in your work. Yeah, my dear friends, your joy, your joy is in Him and in His glory. And when you see that, your problems start are seen from a different light, from a different angle. And when you're going through this crisis, now let me go back to what I was saying earlier when I started with my little personal story. Um, when I started seeing this truth, I started realizing there's no guarantee for no problems here. You know that old theological thing where people say, well, you know, you come to Christ and all your problems are dissolved and over, you know? Hallelujah. You know, you're now part of Christ, you've got no more problems. That is the lot of, biggest lot of rubbish you can talk about. Excuse me using that, but really that's rubbish. And you shouldn't listen to that. Because you know what? There's no guarantee that when you receive Christ and when God, Christ is glorified in your life, that you will have a problem-free life. And it doesn't matter if you've stood in front of a pulpit and you, and you got married in the church, there's no guarantee that you will not have a divorce as a Christian. Which is terrible. Ask me, I know. Your only guarantee is His glory. His honor. That is where your joy is. And when you have that right, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. When your joy is complete in Him, when you have learned, and I have learned, to be satisfied or content with everything, my dear friends, Oh, and we've got to that place in our lives. And we're growing in our lives, in our relationship with God. God is everything. That's why I'm asking you. Is God everything to you? Do you have a desire? A burning desire? To follow Him? I heard the most beautiful words from a, a pastor's mouth this week when, when I had an opportunity. Maria and I had an opportunity to have dinner with him um, during Iftar, by the way, just after Iftar. So it wasn't in the day, okay? Um, and you know what he said to me? He's been a pastor for many years. He says, Chris, this morning I learned to say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. 
not just because on a superficial, but was in deep inside of him. He had an encounter with the Spirit of God that built in him such a, 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 a resolute faith that he could say, I love Jesus. I hear many people say, I love Jesus. But as soon as the problems come, then Jesus is thrown out the back door. Have you noticed that when problems come to you, the first place you run away from is the church? I was dealing with a situation like that in CCM this week of a, of a couple who had gone through many troubles and it's got to such a bad thing now in their lives. But you know, for the last four months, they haven't been coming to church. They've been hiding away, you know. Maybe the police will see us or something like that, you know. And it's been hiding away. And when I went to them, I said to them, look, we love you. God loves you. As a body, we love you. Don't stay away. God wants to encourage you. Don't run away from God. But that's our first inclination. We say we love God, but we run away easily. When you understand that it's for His sake, for His glory, for His name, and when He comes, He will be admired, He'll be worshipped, your love for Christ is deep and endearing. I want to ask you once again this morning, as I close, how is your love for Christ this morning? And those of you who are experiencing hardship in your life, we're praying for you, we love you, but cling to Him. Cling to Him. Cling to the truth of His Word. It's for His glory and His honor that He'll take you through your situation and bring you out to the other side the Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the midst of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Yea, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I find only that psalm quoted at funerals. Tragic. But you might be in this valley experience right now. You might be experiencing tremendous persecution, hardship, trial. My friends, God for His glory is with you. When you go through that valley, God is there all the time. He's never left you. Understand it. It's for His glory, for His honor. Accept that in your life today and experience His liberating peace. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you that I can pray in the name of Jesus this morning and for the sake of your name and for the sake of your glory that you would be glorified in, our, in this church, that we as individuals will allow you to be God in our lives, in your fullness, that we would commit our lives to you and that we would take away any form of our works and our achievements and we'll push that to one side and we'll say, Lord, we are, not the mean, uh, we are not the end. We are just the means through which you want to display your glory. Help us this morning to be true image bearers. Help us this morning, Lord, to understand that we've been saved for the, to the, and the purpose of our salvation is to the praise and the glory of God in Christ. Help us, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.